Good evening, everyone. Welcome to a very special edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, like me, Angelo, joined by the killer. Killer Jim, kill Roy, the rowdy one. Rowdy, how the hell are you, brother? I'm doing good, man. How you doing? I was, let me tell you something. I, I've said it before. I'm going to say it again. If I was any better, there'd be two of me. It almost should be a crime how oh, good I good, feel. Good Lord, if there was two of you, we'd be in trouble. You, you were in trouble anyway, brother. I got news. <laughs> well, we got, I'm going to bring our guest in. We got a hell of a guest tonight. This guy, talk about legendary status. This man is, there are few people in wrestling that no one can say a bad word about. Our guest tonight is one of those people. His name is Len Denton, but you know him lovingly and affectionately as the grappler. He is uh, a mainstay uh, in the Pacific Northwest area and has worked virtually every territory in the country. He, he worked for uh, one of the, the godfather of Portland, the late Don Owens. We're going to hear some Don Owens stories. I, I can see that one coming. We may even hear, you know, 20 or 30 Rowdy Roddy Piper stories tonight. So let me introduce everybody to Len Denton. Len is a seven-time heavyweight champion and 12-time tag team champion. Len Denton's mass persona, the grappler, was the mainstay in the twilight years of the Pacific Northwest, affectionately run by the late, great Don Owens, the godfather of Portland. A well-traveled talent, the grappler spent his time in uh, traversing territories, racking up win after win after win, while crossing paths with a multitude of talent, including Ted DiBiase, Kurt Henning, Black Jack Mulligan, Playboy Buddy Rose, and Mr. Wonderful, Paul Orndorff, just to name a few. His program, in fact, with Paul Orndorff, gave the grappler the insight that Cowboy Bill Watts needed to push Len Denton to the moon. And he worked behind the scenes as well. People don't know this. He worked behind the scenes in the Portland Territory, and that may even, in some people's opinions, may have been more prominent and more important than his work as the grappler. He accomplished a great deal in the ring, but even more so outside of the ring. He has amassed a level of goodwill with the boys that you do not see today. There is no denying no denying whatsoever, ladies and gentlemen, that the grappler Len Denton is a worthy entrance into any professional wrestling hall of fame anywhere in the world. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you Len Denton, the grappler. How you doing, brother? My goodness, boss. That is the greatest, greatest intro I've ever had in my life. God bless you, sir. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. There's only one thing, though. That you were a little mistaken about. They say there's some some people that don't have a bad word against me anywhere in the country. Well, yes, I got sir. a few ex might disagree with you. Okay? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, Rowdy, you want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> Timmy, take that yeah. one, brother. All right. So, <laughs> just what I wanted to ask is that. You, I know that you were, you debuted in 1977 and um, retired in 2016. Um, what is the difference between wrestling back in 77 and wrestling of nowadays? Well, I'll Good tell life. you, I'll tell you, sir, honestly, the biggest difference in wrestling nowadays is that uh, back in the day when we had to, Go out there, and you had to put butts in the seats, and that's the way you got paid. It was different than making a living getting TV revenue and having contracts. You actually had to be good enough to make it to the main event and beat everybody out and get to the main event in order to get the main event paydays and, ha and afford a good living. And so that was made a big difference because you had to be really talented, and you had to really know what you're doing and have a lot of psychology out there in the ring and know what you're saying on TV. Boy, I'll tell you what, I'm glad you brought that up. Len, I had, um, last week I had Larry Zabisco here. It's funny, uh -huh. it, it's 
it's almost as if you and Larry listened to each other's interviews. Um, because he said <laughs> he he said damn near the same thing. He said, "Man, if we didn't put asses in seats, we didn't eat that night." That's true. I mean, it's like when I first broke into pro wrestling, I was seventeen, and I remember the guarantee a night was twenty five dollars a night. And wow. so, how do you how do you think that we created where we would go there, we'd all ride together, and we'd pay each other two cents a mile or three cents a mile in trans? If yeah. You, if you, to, we'd take turns doing that, and then they had a thing where you'd go into the, the hotel like we'd check in late. And then one guy would check in, the rest of us sneak around the other side, hide in the car, and we'd take, we'd always get a hotel with two beds, two queen beds, and we'd throw the mattresses on the floor. Okay? There'd be, I heard that. There'd be, there'd be four, I heard they that. They call it yeah. healing a room. They call it healing a room. And then what we do, we flip, we flip a quarter, and if you lost the flip, you, had, you got the box springs. And oh, the <laughs> oh, oh my God! So let me ask you: How many times did you lose that flip, brother? <laughs> Believe me, some of those wrestlers are teaching. You never know which one it's going to be. But they, oh, they don't want to sleep with the so they'll do anything in the world to, to beat you in that flip. But then there's also another thing that was formed out of all that situation like that was when they call it they celebrated at Colorado Alley. It's called a bologna blowout. We get a loaf of bread. Oh yeah. That's all we can We'd make sandwiches and many, many nights, you know, we pulled up to a place and all of us sleep in the car until daylight. One guy checks in that way. We get the next night that we get to sleep that day, then go work that town right that night. Come back. We got the room another night. Basically, I'll tell you, I heard those stories. It's funny, Um, Len, because you you hear this kind of stuff and you think that people, if you didn't know the business. You would yeah. think that somebody was pulling your leg or pulling a rib on you. Right. You, right. Because it, it, it sounds like, you know, it sounds like, no, you know, people don't live like this. But then you don't <laughs> know the world of professional wrestling because exactly. this is absolutely true. Let, let, I want to talk to you about something right off the, right off the top of the show. I want to get this right out of the way. You okay. were the guy who created your gimmick. You worked on creating this persona called the grappler, right? Right. And they uh, say the best character is yourself cranked up to 11, right? right what do you right. think when, when you hear uh, a, 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 a reporter or a podcaster or a radio interviewer talking about wrestling writers, what goes through your mind when you hear about Writers developing characters for wrestlers. Well, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what you're asking me, but exactly. I mean, it's like you're saying that they're creating the character for the wrestler. The writers are creating the character. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in, in your day, you created your own character. Well, exactly. And here's the thing. Uh, a lot of times, it, a lot of times it's, here's what created your character is like what you could draw money with. That's what it was all about. Sure. And just, you know, like Vince would go like this. Okay. I have a writer. I want this guy to be this guy and write him something and get him a costume, get him an outfit and put him on my TV show. It wasn't like it is now. It was now it's like, okay, you come to the promoter. You say, listen, I want to get booked and I'm going to draw you some money. And if you couldn't produce that character, and go out there and make that character draw you some money yeah. with your personality, then you didn't have a job. So there was no writers involved. It was all on the wrestler itself. Yeah, well, you know, and, and Killer and I can, can vouch for the fact that when you watch a television program now that involves wrestling, brother, I'm going to tell you what, it's, it's and part of my language, but it's fucking scary how bad it is. <laughs> Yeah, it's, no, it's too much. scary how bad it is because it's I just mean, it's, not, it's awful. It, I mean, you can, even it, see, you can even see how they're trying to follow mainstream media, the news and everything, just to follow every little thing to stay current and stay up to up to great. They're not. Yeah. Trying to, I go like this. I go, you know, you watch your wrestling show now on TV and I go, where's all the bad guys? 
Where's the that's serial? exactly that's exactly what they said last week. Where are they? It's like they had they had killer cocks and they had you know all these mean looking guys that would scare you just by looking at them. And there ain't no more of them. All of them's got you know all of them's got to be a pro bodybuilder looking body, and they can do a flip off the top rope, and then somebody writes a script what they're supposed to say on TV, and none of it Len, adds up. <laughs> Len, do you yeah. remember Dewey Robertson? Oh, very well. Yeah, I wrestled Dewey many times. Yeah. Now. People who, who may be uh, under the age of 60 may not know who the hell I'm talking about. But if I say to yeah. a wrestling fan, the missing link, you know who the hell I'm talking about. That That's was Dewey proof Robertson. Right Absolutely. That's proof, right That's proof right there. All of a sudden, he found a character. Because when it's, he was Dewey Robinson, he wasn't drawing two cents in Chinese money. That's why okay. I brought his name up. That's exactly yeah. why I brought his name up to you. Exactly. Then they made him a missing link. All of a sudden, he started drawing money. See, well, let me ask what... you about that. You know, you and I have um, a mutual friend, a very dear mutual friend in common, Eddie Mansfield. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. Yep. A continental lover. And, um, yeah. <laughs> no, and, and, and Eddie and I <laughs> talked about this at some length. And in fact, your name came up. Um, yeah. He says, sometimes. You have to have a couple failures to find out who you are. And that's when you start knowing who your personality is, confident in your ability, and then drawing money. What's the yeah. difference between that scenario and what you see now? Can you, can you make a differentiation or distinction between the two? Oh, it's easy. What I see now is that, you know, Vince has got people hired. Some, sometimes he even has people like from the studios, like in, from Hollywood and different things, hired to sit and write scripts for his show and to build characters like you're doing it for a movie set. And yeah. that's the difference. It, it don't work that way. You're not going to get in these people's minds. I just did a radio interview earlier today before this one, and I'm in Louisiana where the Mid-South was. Bill Watts, where the grappler was, had the biggest name ever. We used to wrestle in Superdome and all these huge shows and all yes, this sir. stuff here. Okay, I, I just did an interview with a guy that was on there about an hour, and people's calling in, and they remember the grappler and Junkyard Dog and Paul Lorndorf, and they remember Carl Cox, and they remember uh, Dick Murdoch, and all these characters, okay, that created their own image, their own name, and got it over, and they stood out, and that was your main line wrestlers that drew money for you, and if you couldn't cut the mustard and get there, you didn't. You you were underneath, and you got you're on the underneath card. You know you you hung around. You went somewhere else. Yeah. And that's just was nowadays. If it's like um, they just hire a guy like you hire an actor and go, okay, I'm gonna hire this guy and I want him to be this. You know, I want him to portray this uh, this character right now. No matter if he can do it good or not, they just put him in the part. And after the part starts to die down, they move to something else. It ain't like professional wrestling used to be. It's not the characters and the, it's not the, the following like these people in Louisiana is what I'm getting to. Yeah. It's like they remember all this. When I was a little kid, my grandpa used to watch TV. He was Mid-South. And, and I remember you, Grappler. I remember yeah. this. I remember that. They remember all that from like from way back. That's why they call us legends now because there's no yeah. legends being built. There's no legends being built anymore. You know? Well, I'll tell you what. Right now... As you're telling that story, the people at home are watching you and Bruiser Brody go at it. Yeah. I got to tell right? you something about this. Um, Bruiser's wife, Barbara, is a very dear yeah. friend of mine. And Barbara's been on the show a couple of times with us already. Uh, what was uh, it like working with Frank? Well, Frank was, um, um, i tell you the honest truth, Frank and my dad got along better than me and Frank. I didn't have a problem with Frank, <laughs> <laughs> but Frank was, uh, he was, my dad was a hard headed son of a bitch too. So him and Frank got along great, <laughs> but, but, um, he was, um, he was a type guy that if you didn't go out there and you didn't, uh, and you didn't go all out and you didn't try yeah. to have a good match. If you back down from him, then yeah. you got your ass kicked. You got your well, ass it's kicked. funny now. That you right now, uh, you and uh, you and Frank are going toe to toe, 
in just a second, it's funny because in just a second, uh, the people at home are going to see, in fact, they're watching it right now, the Grappler and Junkyard Dog are wrestling each other in Portland. What was it like working the dog for Don Owens? I don't remember wrestling him in, in, in Portland, Oregon. That must have been somewhere in Louisiana. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. It's, uh, the uh, the caption that I have is Portland, but, yeah, it could be wrong. It could be wrong. Yeah, yeah. I was in Louisiana, but in Portland, i never seen the dog up there. Okay. Well, I got to tell you, Junkyard Dog, and, uh, and the killer can tell you, Junkyard Dog was a good friend of ours. Uh, he used to come yeah, into my father's bar and and – Drink just about every beer tap we had. Um, him, him he's, Stan Hansen. Yes, yeah, Stan Hansen. Yeah, Hansen and the dog. Brother, when they were around, you better order extra beer. That's all I, <laughs> that's all I can tell you. Well, I'm watching right now the uh, people at home, Len. We're watching you and, uh, and the son of Iron Mike DiBiase, a young Mr. Ted DiBiase. Are working yes. each other. Talk to me about we Teddy. Teddy is an excellent. He was a professional, and he was an excellent worker. I got along with. I still do. I get along with Teddy, and I always have. Matter of fact, I tell you a story. When I first started, it was sure. in Amarillo, and I was only 17 years old when I went out there, and I only weighed like 187 pounds, and right. I got fired. The first, I got fired the first week I was there because I was too small, but I remember. Remember, I was in um, a place called Hereford, Texas, just right outside of Amarillo. The second night I was there, and uh, I'm and I went out my, in my match. I was supposed to wrestle Sputnik Monroe of all people. But he didn't. Oh show my up. God! Oh yeah, so he didn't Sputnik. show. He absorbed some Sputnik. Mm. Yeah, and so I had um, I had to wrestle the Booker, which was um, I can't think of his name now. I, the guy was booking for him, but anyway. Is a great big old uh, ball headed guy. Oh, um, Abdullah? No, it wasn't Abdullah. He wasn't a booker, no. It was, oh, um, oh, oh, um. Think of his name in a little bit. Oh. But um, he was booking for the Funks back then, back in 78, when I first broke in, or 77. And it his, um, I'll tell you in a little bit, but um, he, anyway, so he took, he had me in the second match. And I'm telling you, we went 20 minutes Broadway, and I never got off the mat until the finish. He wow. went behind me, took me down, and just stretched me for 20 minutes back. <laughs> I mean, he just punished me. And then so I'm watching DiBiase, and, and DiBiase, and he had a tag partner then, and they had a hell of a tag match with, Rip, with uh, Sweet Hanson and Rip Hawk and doing all these spots and all these things. And I asked, and I remember asking Ted DiBiase, I said, hey, Man, I, this is my second day in the business. And I went, uh, Mr. DiBiase, I go, you think I'll ever be able to do like like the match y'all had tonight? And he goes, oh, yeah, kid, one day you'll make it like that. And I've seen him two years. I've seen him. I think it was two years later I was main event in the Superdome. He goes, hell, I think you figured it out. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but I put Rowdy, out a whole lot Rowdy of weight. One. The rowdy one. It's all you, brother. Uh, so... You know, I'm listening about how way back when, in order to get paid, you had to buy, you had to literally get people's asses in seats. Now today, right? Today, nowadays, you don't have to do that. You know, so back way back when, you worked your ass off to make to make what yourself the persona that you are. Now. Yeah. You know, and and that was a good thing. I mean, I can remember you're, you're basically way back then. You're talking about the territories. Yes, exactly. You know, so senior. Well, can I interject something, Tim? Go for that's it. That's a great place to go with Len. The territories. Um, why don't you uh, talk to Len about that? Like how how things are different now. Len, you want to talk to the the rowdy one about that and smarten up on territories? Well, there are no sure, territories yeah. now. No, it's it's totally. You know, I went uh, toward the end of my career here. I went and tried out for. I think I was when I was about forty, forty one. I went to WCW. Okay, and uh, K 
to see if I could get hooked up with a contract because they, I heard they were paying good and everything, right? And um, I went over there and they go, okay, listen, uh, here's uh, Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan and all these people. And they said, uh, listen, man, listen, you got to try out. So you got a tryout match with Eddie Mansfield tonight. I went, oh, wait a minute, I got to try out? I've been working for 30 something years. They <laughs> so said, hey, that's, that's just now. That's just the way it is now, Grapper. I said, hey, first of all, I was in the business before you two assholes. Okay? And you're telling me I got to try out? <laughs> I love it. Anyway, they said, that's the way it is. But thank God, thank Lord and God bless him. I had Eddie Mansfield, and you talk about a night off. So I did, we had a hell of a match on TV. And then, so, um, they uh, they came over and uh, Bischoff and him offered me a contract, but I don't know what happened. Some some wires got crossed. It never did work out. I never went well, there. Well, I, I that heard that diff- story, Len. I heard yeah. that story. Um, you know, and you're not the first guy, by the way, who who got the wires crossed, so to speak. Uh, they did that yeah, with yeah. a lot of people. It come to find yeah. out that we know now, all these years later. That Eric yeah. played favorites, you know. Hogan had yeah. his hand-picked boys, you know. And that's why people sure. don't like Hulk Hogan. That's just called yeah. spade a spade. And Eric Bischoff right. is a piece of shit. And I called him out on yeah. the show before, and I'll call him out again. He's a piece of shit. Eric, you're a piece of shit. You know? <laughs> he is, and I'll, I'll even go with that. Eric, you're a piece of shit. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Len, let's yeah. talk about this. Um, you, you're a guy who worked virtually every territory at the time. You worked... uh, First of all, let's talk... Can we talk a little bit about Don Owens? They talk about this man like he is like the godfather of Portland, and people love this guy. And... uh, So uh, give me a little insight into into Don Owens, because I'm going to ask you some questions about him. Okay, I'll tell you this. You'll love this one. Just a second. Can you hear me? Yeah. You got me, boss? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. And so he goes, Don Owens, you'll love this one. Don goes, uh, you know, book, I was booking for Don, right? And so I came in there, and I'm from Texas. And so the Don, as soon as I got there, he started saying, oh, here we go. Here's this Texan coming in. I've never had a booker before, but but Bob Goggle told me to hire him. He did a hell of a job for him. And, Harley Race over there in Kansas City. So he's saying he can help me out. So he's saying this in front of the boys every Saturday when we're getting paid in in the office, you know, after the matches. And so he did this for like three or four weeks just straight. Finally, I said, Don, you know what? I said, and he'd go like this. He'd go, how come you ain't sold the place out already if you're supposed to be that great grappler? How come you ain't sold the place? He's saying this. This went on for four weeks, six, seven, eight weeks. Finally, I got pissed one after. I said, Don, I'll tell you what. You give me, I said, you give me, um, I think it was like four weeks on TV and, and, and don't have your son Barry change anything around on any of my angles and you don't change anything. Let me do what I want to do on TV for four weeks. If I don't sell the Portland Sports Arena out, tell you what, you don't owe me a penny. I'll shake your hand. I'll leave and go back to Texas. You don't have to right. put up with my ass. No. He goes, oh, God, he jumped up and shook my hand in front of the boy. You're on. Yeah. Your bet's on, right? <laughs> so I, I, and we, I did everything in the world, and, we, and believe it or not, it sold out and turned away six hundred people. Okay, are you shooting me? Oh, I'm not now let me ask you a question: How did yeah. you do that? But How did we you use? We only used the talent that I had in, and um, all I could use, I couldn't get any outside talent. He wouldn't let me. We only used the talent that we had. Of course, I had a cage match on top with my boot on a pole. Which was, you know, a pole match. It's one of their famous matches. But what I done was back then, people weren't doing this. Vince was trying to take over every territory. Remember? Yeah. I, and I, yep. put, I put I put a thirty second commercial. I ran it two times right on Vince's show, and it sold out the sports arena. <laughs> wow! And nobody, you know, um, I got a co-host over here. We call yeah. him the Rowdy One, Killer Kilroy. You uh, you knew the original rowdy one, uh, and I would oh, love for you to Len to share a, a, a couple of stories with us about the legendary late great rowdy Roddy Piper. 
Yeah, Roddy was, me and him were really tight. I mean, we knew each other. I met him when I was about 18 or 19, 19 years old. First time I met Roddy. And we were friends until he passed away. Uh, we went through a lot of good times together and bad times. Sometimes we'd get in fights. Sometimes we'd be best friends. But we yeah. always loved each other for each other. But Roddy, uh, like you were talking about Don Owens, and that was part of the story. I was fixing to add Roddy. When Don Owens, when I sold out the sports arena, he's the only promoter that I ever seen get mad with a sellout. He goes, man, you've killed, you've killed Portland. I said, what are you talking about? And he said, well, hell, I had to turn away 600 people. They ain't never going to come back. I said, Don Owens, <laughs> that's all, that's all. you're the oldest and shittiest promoter I ever knew. I told him that. I said, if you had any sense, you'd be handing out tickets to those people to come back for the next time. And he goes, just shut up. He got pissed off. And so he, he went to pay me. He shorted me about, I said, you know, he paid me. I, I was on an $800 a week guarantee. He gives me my guarantee and he don't give me no extra money and the place is sold out. And Eugene was sold out. Another town was sold out that week. And he paid me straight up just $800. And I said, hey, you're old, you're about a grand behind, old man. He goes, you know what? You take, if you take that money, he was pissed at me. You take that money, you make the most money here anyway. You take that money and kiss my ass, that's all you're going to get. And so I said, after I sold the place out, he was still pissed because he lost the bet. And so, wow. And so, you, is that a shoot? That's a shoot? That's a shoot. And here's what I did, okay? And this is where Piper comes into it. <laughs> so I was going to Japan in about six weeks. And as being the booker, he paid my phone bill at the time. All my long distance bills when I had to call talent and do stuff like that, right? Yeah. And so when I went to Japan, I got there and I said, okay. I told him, I said, I'm going to get my money back, Don, one way or the other. You owe me at least a grand. When I went to Japan, I called I call my old lady. I called her like three times a day to collect from Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> when I, got back, I was only there three weeks. I got back. The phone bill was $1,200. <laughs> That's, hey, look, Don, get your money, baby. Oh, <laughs> I just wanted to kill me. You just seen that old man. So he, he, he said, I want you to come to lunch. I want to buy you lunch. I'm like, what the hell do you want to buy me lunch for? We went, and when I walked in there, him and his son, Barry, and and Buddy Piper were sitting at the table. I went, oh, shit. And I said, and he goes, I just want to tell you something. You see this phone bill, you smart-ass bastard, you? I said, I started laughing. I go, I tell you I'm going to get my money back. And you got your money back, right? Your ass is fired. And I just want you to come here. And I started to get up. He goes, no, sit down. I'll still buy you lunch. <laughs> I said, you just fired me. You're gonna he goes, yeah, sit down and eat with us. He said, I want to tell you something. He goes, guess you, your ass is fired, and guess who my new booker is? I said, who? He goes, Roddy Piper. Oh, I went, you shit. <laughs> I said, no kidding. He goes, yeah. So we're talking a little bit, and Roddy goes, he said, Roddy, he said, let me tell you something. Don goes, Roddy is bigger than you and stronger than you. He talks better on TV than you. He's a better booker than you. He's a bigger star than you. He's <laughs> running down all this stuff, running me down. I go, I know, Don. I know. Okay, big deal. He goes, and he's going to, he's going to, you, you're still out of shit. Wait till you see what Roddy does. And so Roddy goes, hey, stop, stop, Don. Stop. He goes, listen, listen, I'm, I got a contract with Vince and WWE. I'm doing stuff in Hollywood. I got all kinds of stuff going on. And I, I really, I'm, I want to run your territory for you. But man, I'm limited in time. So I'm telling you right now, there's only one way I can do it. And Don said, what? He goes, I need an assistant. Yeah, he said, and I want to hire Lynn Denton. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy rehired me right there. Don, Don Smoke was coming out of Don's ears. He goes, you son of a bitch, I'm going to get you one day. <laughs> and me and Roddy ran the territory together for about another year after that. <laughs> That's funny. Len, before we yeah. went on the air, the rowdy one and I were talking about Piper and uh, – and we were we had a little discussion. Maybe um, Tim, you might want to talk to Len about this. Um, why yeah. was Rowdy? Why was Rowdy Roddy Piper so misunderstood? Go ahead, Tim. Yeah. Why was he? Why was he misunderstood? And why? I mean, in my opinion, Piper was one of the best heels in the business. Well, and I don't know. 
Go ahead. Go ahead. And why was he so misunderstood? Why was he so, to some people, not as good as he really was? Well, you know, to me, Roddy, and being honest with you, as one of the guys and a worker in the business, you couldn't make you couldn't be a better you couldn't make a better heel than Roddy Piper, and he had a better character. He could be a babyface or a heel. He had one hell of a persona out there on the mic that you couldn't top. I mean that yeah that comes along yeah. that only comes along very seldom. I mean, not many guys have that kind of character and that talk and gets across yeah. to people. And, you know, and he had and, the knack for being the ultimate heel without saying a darn word. Yeah, he prime didn't have example, to do anything. Prime example, him and Jimmy Snooker, right? Him and Jimmy Snooker. He, he cracked Snooker over the head with a coconut and smashed banana in his face, and people hated him for it. Oh, yeah, he didn't have to do anything. I know. He he could get heat if he wanted to, and he could be an ultimate, ultimate baby face, too. I mean, I did a lot of... Um, autograph signings and, and, you know, uh, sci-fi conventions and all this with Roddy in the later right. days, right? And uh, he, one thing about Roddy that I respected, we would be there and I, there'd be a line around the corner, okay, of people lined up, right? Oh, sure. And he'd say, Len, he'd go, Lenny, we're not leaving until everybody gets an autograph. And I would see all these big shots come in. They'd get up in a couple hours and leave, and Roddy would sit there. He said, hey, you know what? These people came here. They're standing in line. They're going to get their autograph no matter what. And, you know, I respected him for that, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. It's, um, oh, go ahead, Tim. I'm sorry. Okay, see, see, that's, that's the thing. Way back when, 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Mm-hmm. 80s, it started turning the corner, but 60s and 70s for sure. Okay? You could go up to the ring and say, you know, with a piece of paper and a pen, and they would be happy to give you an autograph. Right? Yeah, yeah. And nowadays, you can't even get close to any of them without having to pay 80 or $90 for an autograph. Well, no, now, I know. Mean, people, they cost them $50 to get in the door, and they get there, and they want to buy a picture. It costs $30, and they want an autograph. It costs another $30. I'm like, what? This is crazy, yeah. man. <laughs> that, that's yeah. for real. That's straight shooting. Yeah. And Rowdy, Rowdy ain't lying to you, brother. That's that's what they're getting. Well, there's, you know, there's a place there's, there's a place in 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 Jersey that every once in a while it's called Adventureland. Every once in a while yeah. they have names come in, you know. So now you're already paying, you know, you're paying some kind of money, but it's like to to see the name, they want two hundred bucks. Yeah, that's what they're getting. That's crazy. Holy cow, it's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. Um, that's what they're getting. It's like, when, since when did wrestlers get rock star money just like to show up? I don't get that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know either, brother. And then I'll say, the I think I think me and Rowdy are in the wrong fucking business, <laughs> well, You know, and, and and again and again, right? At, at at WrestleMania, I there was WrestleMania up in North Jersey. I, I come along and I go there and I wanted to see about getting tickets, right? Nosebleed yeah. way up top, right? A hundred bucks. Way up yeah, top. I know. Right? And I'm like, no way. I'm not paying a hundred bucks, right? So then you get on the floor and they're like 3000 Yeah. Jesus. $3,000 for a wrestling ticket. Never, never heard of it. But Well, yeah, man, I'm going to tell you what. Well, see, here's the thing. And I think Rowdy brings up a good point that it really, here's the, the, the difference. When you showed up to the arena, Len, you wrestled, you worked, you gave people their money's worth. But right. the thing is you wrestled. That's the key. Exactly. What you're seeing now isn't wrestling. Exactly. It's a oh, performance know. and you're not one paying. You're not paying for a wrestling show. You're paying for a production number. Exactly. And that you know, seems that, that, to be the biggest difference, in my opinion. You're right. You're correct. You know, we're talking about that on the radio today. When I, on the radio and some, with some other fans, is 
I remember when I came here to work in the Mid-South for Bill Watts, when I, I got my first break as the grappler, right? And he said, hey, the reason I'm bringing you in is because at the top of the marquee, it says professional wrestling, and I need somebody that knows how to wrestle. That's what I sell on my cards. He said, we exactly. have the free birds. We have the junkyard dog. We got the Carl Cox. We got some, and Brody and guys like that. We got some furniture movers. We sure. work for them, you know, but we need wrestling on the card. That's what it says in the marquee. And then he always stayed with that. And he always had a successful, real successful territory, you know? Yeah. And let's talk about it. I'm going to follow up on that. Um, yeah. Your time with Bill Watts is well known. Bill liked you a lot. And that's pretty clear because he used you all the time. But let me ask you yeah. about that. That southern-based territory, you had, you know, Oklahoma, Louisiana, uh, Texas was like, you know, there were like seven territories just in Texas alone, um, yeah. including the Southwest Territory of Joe Blanchard's group, which was, you know, pretty hot at the time. Um, did you yeah. work? At, did you ever work for Joe and maybe guys like Gino and Chris Adams and people like that? Yeah, yeah, me and my partner, Tony Anthony, were Southwest Tag Team Champions for Joe Blanchard. And uh, we worked with Tully. You just mentioned something, and I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'm going to let you continue, but you just mentioned (laughs) something super important. I almost forgot. Tony Anthony. Let me ask you a question. Was was there a time that Tony worked as grappler? Did he ever work as grappler? He was grappler number two. Yeah, he was my tag grappler. Partner. Two, okay, and I could. Yeah. I man, I had. We were having that argument. I said, man, I think there was two grapplers. I'll be honest with you. I know Len was yeah, the grappler. Was, yeah, me, and me and Tony were tag team partners for uh, like two or three years. Yeah, and you yeah. guys like won twelve championships together. Oh yeah, we were all over the place. We we went you know, yeah we went all over. So. I interrupted you when you were talking about the Gino, Gino Hernandez, by the way, is what I'm talking about. Um, Chris, you know, gentleman, Chris Adams. Yeah, all yeah. these guys. I worked in World Class for Devon Eric's. I worked in Southwest for uh, Blanchard, all, all over Texas, where I'm from in Texas. And so, um, but I worked with Gino and I worked with Tully Blanchard and, and all those guys down there, you know, you name them. Yeah. Worked a lot with them, you know. Well, can I ask you a question about that? And you can, if you want to answer it, that's great. And if you don't, I'll yeah. respect it. But what was sure. the deal with the Von Eric boys? What was their, what was their malfunction? Uh, I mean, part other than drugs, I don't know. <laughs> you know, but, but, um, but here's what Rowdy and I heard, and, family, and I want you to correct was- it because you're a guy that should know. Um, yeah. we heard that the Fritz, their father, Fritz von Erich, pushed them yeah. all to be wrestlers and some of yeah. them didn't want to be wrestlers. Do you no, know anything yeah. about that? Or does that sound like something that Fritz would do? No, I, I heard that's what he did. He pushed them all to be wrestlers. A lot of them didn't want to be, but I mean, they never, con- they never confided in me with it. You know what I mean? I was but, just one yeah. of the guys, but that was the rumor. Everybody said that some of those guys don't want to be wrestlers. And like Mike Von Eric, he shouldn't even been in it. He wasn't yeah. even qualified to be boys, you know, and then there's so much stuff there. It was just, I don't know why, you know, like the guys, we all used to go out and party and have fun, but then yeah. we you know we're sobered up enough to make the show the next night. Sure. Sometimes they wouldn't, that sometimes they would just, I guess, they didn't have those boundaries that we had to watch. And so they kind of let it get away with them a lot of times way too far, you know? Yeah. Now, what was you the curse? I mean, they always say there's a, the, that family was cursed. What exactly. was the curse or what, you know, it, it, it the family, the, that family, it's a damn shame about that family. Oh, I hear you. Yeah. That's unreal. Absolutely. I mean, I worked with every one of those guys, and every one of them I had good matches with, you know, but just I don't understand why. They had everything they wanted in wrestling if they would have just 
you know, just, I don't know. They couldn't handle the pressure from somewhere. I don't know well, why they were so much pressure, you know? Yeah, well, then, let me throw something at you. Maybe we can, and, and, and uh, Rowdy, one, if you want to jump in here, but feel free to. But the, yeah. kind of the, the feel that I got from talking to one of the Von Erich insiders is that they were great as long as they were in Texas. When they left oh. Texas, they had a problem. Is, does that sound like what you've heard? I heard the same. I heard the same before. I heard the same kind of thing. They couldn't handle it out there on the road. You know, yeah. but then you, talk, then you talk about Kerry Von Erich. Kerry Von Erich was in Texas when he killed himself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I don't know. I really know. I really don't know the story behind why they had so many problems. I just remember. I remember one time, okay, I was wrestling Mike Von Erich. I'm in the dressing room at Sports Arena in in Dallas, right? And so uh, Bronco Lubitsch, the referee, which had he had points in the office. He was he was one of the bosses. People didn't know Bronco Lubitsch, but he goes, "Manny, come here. We got you working with Mike, and go over and set something up." So I went over to sit and talk to Mike, and he's sitting on a wooden bench in the middle of the dressing room, right? And he's he's lacing his boots, and we're talking, and he's so messed up. He goes to pull a lace up like that, and he falls backwards off the bench on the floor. And I look at Bronco, and I go, you got me working with him? He goes, just do the job, okay? And he, he got back up on the bench, started lacing his boots again, fell backwards right. off the bench again. Twice. Wow. We're, fixing to go on that. We're fixing to go on national TV in about 30 minutes, right? Oh, I my go, God. <laughs> I said, hey, Bronco, what do you want me to do? He said, I don't know, but cover it. I said, okay, so... All I could do is when I got in the ring, I said, Mike, get a headlock. You got a headlock? I said, don't let go of it. No matter what you do, don't let go. And I threw him off two or three times, and he hung on. I let him drag me, you know, like he was hanging on the headlock. I backed him in the corner, stopped him, beat him up, and then we went home. That's all I could do. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't let him. He wasn't. He couldn't hardly stand up. So I went ahead. Luckily, he could do the a small package enough to pin me, you know what I mean? And I got well, out I'll tell you what. Um... As you're talking, you know, uh, the rowdy one, he slipped me a note over here. He says, can I ask Len about the Dallas Sportatorium? Well, go ahead, brother. Ask away. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, what? Dallas Sportatorium, right? Did you sell that out? Did you? I mean. No, when I was in Dallas, when I was working for the Von Erichs, I was kind of in the middle of the card. I was a Texas champion. They weren't really giving me a push. They were going with the free birds and different stuff. And so I was basically there because I could get a good payday and be at home. And I was uh, looking for, I was looking for a, a place to go out and work on top then. So I was there about a year and then I left, but I never did sell out anything there. I just was on the card. Basically uh, I was on the reunion arena and they had a packed card, but I wasn't the main event. <laughs> I was. Just well, I got a question show. for you that since, since Rowdy one brought up the uh, Dallas sportatorium, I got a question yeah. to follow up on that. They tell me uh-huh. that, and then, I don't know if this is true or if it's a rumor or, you know, wrestling folklore, Len, but you're the guy who would know. They tell me that the ring, the ring at the Dallas Sportatorium was concreted in place. Is that true? That's what I heard. That's what I heard. I don't know for sure, but that's what I heard. That's what they say. They also said that the Dallas Sportatorium smelled like popcorn and stale beer all the time. It did. It did. It did. Yeah. And it sure did. And can you tell me, Len, if that was a an all wooden structure? Because they tell me it was a completely all wooden structure. It was. It was all wooden. I mean, wow. Probably no bounce to it. How and many people was, did they hold there, Len? I don't, I'm not sure. I don't know how many people. I don't know what the capacity was. I never heard. Well, because there, people have. Well, that that's part of the problem, is that people have argued that it was between three thousand and five thousand. Somebody said it was two thousand. I said, well, got to be a number, you know. 
Somebody's got to know how many people went in this place. I would say it at least held 3,000 people. So it was a pretty sizable building then. Good sized building, yeah. It was my cram pack that sold out. It probably held three grand. Yeah. Let me go back to Roddy Piper for just a half a second. Okay, because yeah. I don't want to dwell on that. But um, in his later years, when Roddy seemed troubled, he he often seemed troubled about stuff. Um, yeah. Could you um, can you uh, shed some light on that, or is that too personal, or if it, if if it hurts too much to talk about, you know, you can tell me to shut up. No, 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 brother. I know, you know. Okay. In the latter years, it's kind of like I am now. You get, you see that you can't do what you used to do, and you can't, you can't perform like you used to do. So you're limited on a lot of different things, and so that bothered him. I know, you know. And then also, it, it was his health. It, you know, he was having problems with his knees, his hips, real bad, and, had and his cancer. Shoulders. And then he got cancer, and then one thing after the other. So you know, just like anybody getting like my age right now. It just starts yeah. chewing away at you, you know, because you look at it like, man, I used, I remember I used to walk in here and I'd be happy. Now it's just I'm just lucky to make it. You know what I mean? That's, that's, that's a good good thing because I was just thinking about this. Yeah. So you have wrestlers that were in the limelight for years and years, and the next thing you know, they're out of the limelight. Okay? So exactly. that's, you know, they're like, on drugs, drinking up a storm, or doing drugs, yep. or they turn around and kill themselves because they they miss the limelight. Now, can you elaborate yep. on that? Yeah, and you know, I tell you one thing though. I was proud of Roddy. He, at Roddy had actually quit drinking. The only thing he was doing, he was smoking cigarettes. I go, you never used to smoke before. He's, I know, I'll pick up this habit now. But he wasn't smoking. I mean, he wasn't drinking. He wasn't doing drugs anymore or anything like that. But I tell you what me and him were doing, and I'm still doing it. As a matter of fact, I'm fixing to have to go rehearse here pretty soon. They're waiting for me on the inside. But they, I'm doing a one-man show in Louisiana, a stand-up show and telling the stories along the road and all that. Oh, and wonderful. I've, I've, opened up, I've opened up for Mick Foley a few times. I've, me and Jake's done it together. I've done it in Vegas. I'm, I got four shows here in Louisiana this weekend at this Rice Festival I'm doing. It's the Rice Festival is a big event they do once a year in Louisiana after yeah. since the COVID they're going to have about oh, 100,000 people through here tomorrow and it's just oh my god a good, good, oh yeah it's a big one and and um, but uh, th- me and Roddy started trying to do that's, well, that's why we started doing the one man show because that gives us where we can go up on stage and still talk about our wrestling and be involved in wrestling and talk to the fans and yeah. tell road stories help us in the limelight, in the, on the stage, and enjoying what we like to do. Well, you and know what, Len, I'm that. glad you brought that up, Len, because um, one of the guys who, who did that early on in his career, you know, or when his career, I should say, at, when his career in wrestling was over, was Johnny yeah. Valiant, luscious Johnny Valiant. Um, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, remember he did stand-up comedy and did movies. He did a half a dozen right. movies and... A bunch of television commercials and, um, you know, yeah. rest in peace. The late Johnny Valiant was uh, not with us anymore. Um, yeah. But at least he didn't kill himself. He had hit by a, a car, but that was well, bad enough, you know. Shocked the wrestling. The cur- he stayed in the lifestyle, which helps you keep going. You know what I mean? You got to keep yourself yeah, going. Absolutely. That's what, that's, what we're, that's what we're used to, boss. So you got to keep that thing going for you are you finally just like all of a sudden you're sitting at home by yourself going damn where'd everything stop for well you know yeah I mean? it's like what yeah when like rowdy just said you know what you know what happens you know you can only drink so much you can only uh, yeah. you know abuse your body so much you know i mean what happens right. when the beer runs dry and there's no more drugs you can't buy can't afford to buy any more drugs you know well listen yeah, len yeah, I'll t- i know that you got rehearsal to go to um, let me throw this out there. If you're ever okay. up around the Philadelphia, New Jersey area, give me a holler. Yeah. I'd love to sponsor something for you up here. Oh, where, whereabouts, boss? Around New Jersey or Philadelphia? 
Oh, okay. All right, buddy. Yeah, sounds great. I appreciate that. Yeah, really well, do. you have my number. Listen, keep my number, okay? And we'll and I'll I'll hey. touch base with you in the next day or two. Sounds good, brother. I love. I'm serious. Straight shoot. Straight shoot, oh, brother. Thank you, bro. Thank you so much. Uh, well, listen, my brother. I'm going to let you go. I know you got a, a a lot of things to do tonight. So, uh, on behalf of okay. the rowdy one and myself, ladies and gentlemen, we have had one hell of an hour with the grappler, Len Denton. Len, take care, my brother. You take care, and, uh, and I will touch base with you. Take, take care, Len. Take care, fellas. Love you. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, my friend. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Good night. You bet. That was a fabulous conversation with Len Denton, the grappler, Rowdy. Learn something. I got, sure I got smartened up, brother. I got news for you. Oh, the old he, man got smartened up. Oh, well, you know, that's at least somebody smartened you up. I'm going to smack you. <laughs> I should tell people, I have known this guy, it's scary to say these words, 40 years, which is frightening, okay, that I've known you almost 40 years. And he tells the same jokes now he did 40 years ago. I haven't told a joke in a long time, Ange, and you know it. Well, you stole Len Galloway's act, may he rest in peace. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, so listen, what did, what did you learn from the the grappler? Here's what I've learned, and then I'll I'll throw it over to you, and I'll let you have the last word of the night. I have learned that the grappler was far more important than people thought. That uh, that he worked a lot of territories and wrestled some pretty hefty big names, and that when push came to shove, the grappler actually drew some money. So say you what to this. A well, wise one. I I think the same thing, Ange. I mean, you know, you, you you think about the grappler. Okay, he's the grappler. All right, you think about wrestling. Okay, he was he was good at wrestling in the ring, but he's a booker. He does he's in, in, behind the scenes. He does everything behind the scenes. He's a booker. He's he's you know so. And I think that he, that's really important. That that was a cat that I just. <laughs> yeah. I just see the cat run by. <laughs> but I yep. think that's a really important. That's a really important that you brought that up. He did a lot. He wasn't just a wrestler. He was a booker. He was a promoter. He helped other guys get over. You yes. know. Yep. And that's the important thing. And that's and I want young wrestlers today. To listen to this, okay? Because I'm speaking directly to you guys. It's not, and I'm going to say this kindly. It's not about being famous. It's not about how many girls you can nail. It's not about how much money you can put in your pocket. It's about getting yourself over. And that means putting the business over. And that means putting over the guy you're working with if you have to. It doesn't mean you're going to win every match. Well, guess what? You're not supposed to win every match. It's wrestling. It's a show. Do people get hurt? Yeah, we get hurt all the time. But that's why you have to take care of the guy you're working with. If you don't, don't count on him to have your back next time. Dig it? That's exactly right. I mean, you know, and you you hit the nail on the butt. You know, a lot of people nowadays that want to get into the business, right? They say to themselves, "I'm going to be a professional wrestler. I'm going to be top notch. I'm going to go to the top." Okay? And they get into an indie federation and think they're prima donnas when they're just starting out, right? And then, and then. These old these these veterans get get them in the ring right, and they're stiff with them because they're cocky. Thank you. Exactly. Exactly. You know because they're cocky. Yeah. Well, you know, um, the, the, the problem is when you're cocky, that means to me that you've got no humility. It means that you're putting yourself first. You're not putting the business first. You're not putting your you know, your promotion first, you're putting you first. Guys like that, they have no place in my life, okay? Well, 
I, I, exactly. Now I and I, that's I'm, why I'm, I don't promote them. Now, speaking going, of which, we're going to promote a guy, a guy that you and I know very well, and I want to tell people about him right now. He is a local New Jersey guy, a hero of sorts, and certainly his son is a hero. God bless him. Uh, Sonny, oh, Sonny Strong. Let me tell you something. Um, oh, I love this kid. Yeah. South Philadelphia. South Philly, brother. And yep. uh, Matt Boyd is a name you don't know, but people around here certainly know Breaker Morant. They know the Breaker. Um, I am proud to say that I am the first wrestling promoter. And, uh, and, and Tim, you and I, uh, we kind of made history that night. Yes, um, we did. We're going to talk about that show. That's going to be the subject of one of our shows, by the way. Atlantic City, 2001. <laughs> Don't laugh. Uh, shut up. <laughs> Don't laugh just yet. Because you're going to get to tell your Jimmy Snooker story. <laughs> In all its full glory. But not right now. But Breaker Morant will be on with us October the 28th for the entire show. And, uh, and I'm going to highlight this guy, cause, and, and people who watch this show know. I don't highlight local promotions or local wrestlers. And there's a reason I don't. Most of them aren't worthy of my time, quite frankly. Matt Boyd, Breaker Morant, is the exception. He's a, a class act. That's just a simple way to put it. He's a class act. This guy is a good guy. He's a family man, a good husband, a father. He loves the business, and he puts the business first. You hear what I just said? He puts the business first. So, Jimmy, um, you know Matt. The, no matter the what capacity he is in, he is the ultimate professional. Okay. Amen. Right. Perfectly so well if he's if he's a heel, he's the he is the ultimate heel. He'll tear you up like none other. If exactly. he's the face, if he's the face, then he's gonna then he's gonna act like the face, right? Have that, and he's have, gonna sign autographs and kiss babies and shake hands, right? Maybe even kiss my ass. I mean, um, <laughs> <laughs> I hope you heard that. <laughs> I hope you heard Matt. I hope you heard that. <laughs> but yeah, so Gilroy he, said it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is the ultimate professional, and he has good, done a lot. He's a good guy, and he's done a Let lot. Let me tell everybody what's coming up next week. We got a good one next week, brother. We got a, a wrestling Hall of Famer next week. Cowboy Scott Casey will be here next week. We also have a special guest coming next week. Named Jay DeShellis. Now, let me tell you who Jay DeShellis is. He's a guy who got to live his childhood dream, and he met his hero, Bruno San Martino. In fact, he got a lot of pictures with Bruno, and um, he wrote a story to me. He, he sent me an email. We actually get emails on the show. We really do, a lot of them. And he sent me an email, and this one stood out. And... Um, and I invited him on because he's a, uh, you know, he's a big Bruno fan. And I want him to share his story because it was really touching. And he's also a big fan of Cowboy Scott Casey from Southwest Championship Wrestling. So, um, yeah, so we can do that. All right. And so uh, we're going to have that show and we will bring it to you, uh, of course, in all its glory and grandeur here on wrestling with the future but for tonight i have to say good night to the rowdy one because mrs rowdy wants to put him in bed and tuck him in give him his <laughs> bottle and um a beer and <laughs> so on behalf of killer tim was, Gilroy, but, the rowdy but, one but, but i was never a bottle baby i well we'll talk about that later <laughs> I'm Psycho Mean Angelo. Have a great night, everybody. Take care. Good night. And as we continue to wrestle with the future. Bye-bye. <laughs>